Hello, I'm Tyler Smith. This is a BP supplement. Uh, if you, so listeners, if you're like me, and I have to assume that you are, you spent the last few days watching uh, this Aaron Sorkin supercut of Sorkinisms. Um, I uh, watched it and uh, thought it was really great, only to find that at the end it said, edited by Kevin Porter. And I thought, I wonder if that's the Kevin Porter that I know and I am friends with, who's a big Sorkin fan. Sure enough, it was. And so I thought, hey, we should have him on the show to talk about this this giant internet phenomenon because, uh, you know, we want to uh, exploit it. So I've got my friend Kevin Porter here. Porter, how you doing? I'm great. How are you, Tyler? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Yeah. So, okay. Let's get some stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this, aside from, of course, exploiting your fame, um, yes, was... Yes, all of my fame. Hey, it, it's <laughs> rocketed up in one week. It'll go back down, but, uh, you know, yeah. now you're that guy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but it was interesting because I, I was following this and I was like, I'm, I was so happy that it was getting exposure, but invariably I would look at like comments and, and everybody said this, they said that, and they were asking the same questions, they had some of the same critiques or the same compliments, and I saw from time to time, you would chime in and, and say, no, no, it's not that, or something like that, and I just thought like, okay, well, I'll try to g- give you a forum in which to answer all of these questions definitively and not just type it up in this play, in, on this website or that website or on Facebook or anything like that, um, because it is interesting. Uh, for those that don't know, um, in fact, you know what? I, I, you made the thing. I'll let you describe it. But we'll go back to the beginning. Not the very beginning, just uh, your love for Aaron oh, well. Sorkin. <laughs> you are an Aaron Sorkin fan, correct? I'm a big fan of Aaron Sorkin. Okay. For sure. I feel like there's two things in pop culture I can speak definitively on. One of them is Bruce Springsteen. Yes. And the other would be Aaron Sorkin. Everything else I know a little bit about, maybe a little less about. But those are the two. If you ask me any question about it, I'll probably be able to answer it. Okay. Uh, well, we'll get to a Bruce Springsteen thing later. We <laughs> okay. won't because I can't even, aside from the fact that he covered uh, Tom Waits' Jersey Girl, I got nothing for you. <laughs> so um, uh, what was it that, uh, that got you first started uh, on Sorkin? What first got me started on Sorkin was about... When I was, it was the year 2003, I mm. want to say. It was right when the Sports Night DVDs came out. Okay. So that was either 2002 or three, And I remember seeing them in a DVD store randomly. I heard some good reviews. And so I told my mom, Mom, get me Sports Night for DVD. On DVD, maybe, for Christmas. Mm. And she was like, oh, yeah, maybe Santa will bring it. And at this time, <laughs> I definitely didn't believe in Santa. Okay, that's, that's good. Just, that's just my mom. So she's fine. Not that she believes in Santa, but she just likes being playful. So she got it for me for, for Christmas, and it was really the first TV show that I loved. Like, genuinely loved. I didn't know you could... You and know. if there's one thing I know about you, you're a big fan of uh, misplaced canned laughter. <laughs> you know what's fun? I mean, even even then, even despite the canned laughter that even Sorkin and Tommy Schlamy, who made the show, hate, yeah. I still love the show. Yeah. Um, and so from there, it was just kind of a snowball effect. 
what else has this guy written? What else can I watch? And then the, actually the next year for Christmas, um, my mom got me The West Wing on DVD, the first season that had just come out. Mm-hmm. And I started watching those. And I started watching you know, all his movies, A Few Good Men, Malice, The American President, mm-hmm. and Charlie Wilson's War, um, all these great movies. So really, I mean, The Catalyst, you could trace it back to my mom and that, that fateful Christmas morning. That's interesting. I uh, I don't think I've ever... When it comes to, say, you know, a, uh, a DVD box set, which is uh, usually not super expensive, but a bit more on the pricier side, like, I, I know that uh, I would not risk uh, an entire gift from a parent on something I didn't completely know I loved already. <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So, good for you. It's meant for, to happen, uh, man. <laughs> Look, you're a risk taker. I am. If there's one thing about me that you could say, is that, that that guy takes risks. Absolutely. I'm looking at your boots right now, and I think that is a risky choice. So, um, all right. So, it's interesting. Uh, so, I, I first met you a, a few years ago, and, and uh, one of the things that we uh, bonded over was the West Wing. Uh, because while uh, while I'm not sure I would say I'm a huge Sorkin fan, certainly not uh, to the extent that you are, I did come to have an appreciation for him, and uh, and I think we wound up having a debate about the West Wing uh, post Sorkin and talking mm-hmm. about like uh, what happened there, and and I like a lot of episodes and entire story arcs and character arcs post Sorkin, and uh, and you're just like, no, it wouldn't make any sense. Toby wouldn't do that. CJ wouldn't do that. And it was just really interesting. They wouldn't, but and y- <laughs> go on. And you were just very passionate about it. Um, and so, when did you, first, like, what prompted you to do this supercut? And actually, first, we, never, we have not officially said what a supercut is, so I'll let you define uh, what is a supercut. Aside from like the name of that like low level uh, haircut, the place. the haircut salon, um, a supercut as an internet video um, is a video that illustrates something happening over and over again. So one of the first supercuts I saw was um, people in movies screaming no yeah. and so if you go to YouTube, you can find and I think there's a few of them actually. You can find like five minute clips of. Of people going, no, in different movies. Or uh, people say, it's showtime. Yeah. And there's like a super cut, three minutes long, of people just saying, it's showtime from different movies and TV shows. Um, So that's essentially what a super cut is. It's a montage of sorts um, to illustrate a point, Mm -hmm. to show, oh, hey, this happens a lot, this device. Like something a little more abstract, not as specific as, as a particular phrase would be there was a supercut of um every time a character in a movie talks on the phone and then they hang out without saying goodbye which oh, is yeah. just kind of something that happens in movies that doesn't happen <laughs> in real life as much yeah so and we all and we all just accept it yeah like none of us look at that character and be like what a jerk <laughs> but in no life question. you'd be like i'm not gonna be friends with this guy anymore <laughs> he never says goodbye <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's the more or less what a supercut would be okay uh and so and I've seen I've seen good ones. I've seen bad ones. Some of them, uh, re- I think, the ones that I enjoy the most are the ones that uh, latch onto a specific phrase that is maybe not that ex- uh, not that exceptional or anything like that. It's like, for example, it's sh- like Showtime or it's Showtime. That's something like that's a very specific phrase. Whereas the phrase "get out of there." Hmm. 
Well, it seems like the phrase get out of there, it's like, it's kind of a mundane phrase. Probably wouldn't be said very much. Aha! I disagree. <laughs> it is apparently said all the time in every movie, apparently. <laughs> um, and, it, and so stuff like that is interesting because you notice little, uh, little trends there. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, being a Sorkin fan and just ingesting everything that he, that he wrote, what prompted you then to, to do this supercut? Which is, which is, by the way, it's a repeating of it. It shows phrases, uh, some of them more broad and kind of generic, and some of them very, very specific that he tends to use uh, and return to mm-hmm. uh, in his films and uh, television shows. So, what prompted you to to do that? Because I thought it'd be fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that that was the long and short of it. Is I think over the last because since I got those those first DVDs from Christmas, it's been like 10 years. So it's been like 10 years I've been absorbing and ingesting Sorkinese, mm-hmm. as it were, which is what some people call his very specific dialogue in the way um, he writes it. Um, growing up, just as an aside, I would um, I would take the DVD audio of like Sports Time the West Wing and I would rip it and make it into mp3s put on cds and listen to it while i fell asleep so i've literally been listening to this stuff in my sleep for like i did it throughout all of high school and middle school and maybe a little bit of college but um so for that reason alone it was in my subconscious in a way that's probably not uh (laughs) that's probably a little unusual like some yeah i'd say probably yeah yeah. (laughs) well i i think you know some of the lines were pretty you know, pretty obvious, like, oh, that is from this and this is from that. And, mm-hmm. you know, other people have noticed it. But I think I was in a special position just by being such a fan of it to be like, oh, well, it's actually even just these little phrases I'm noticing all the way through. Because mm-hmm. I've probably seen every episode of The West Wing like 15 or 20 times, you mm-hmm. know, maybe even more. Every episode of Sports Night 15 or 20 times and all those movies multiple times as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was, I just felt like I was in a, in a special position to be like, oh, hey, th- here's a funny thing that I noticed yeah. that maybe, you know, while other people were, maybe not to the degree that I could. No. Um, so, really, I just did it for fun. I just did it because I thought it'd be kind of a fun video to make. And mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it for my own publicity or certainly not doing it to critique him at all or try to take him down or yeah. ruin him, as some people have suggested. Well, and that, that leads to my next question is a- as a fan, when you noticed that there were just so many phrases, and some of them, you know, a character saying, you think? Yep. Now, there are, that's said a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's also something that people in life say. Like, it's not that unusual. Right. But it is, it is certainly said a lot mm-hmm. um, on, on his shows and, and, uh, and movies. Um, but as you went through, like, with this purpose of, of seeing repeated phrases, uh, repeated um, sentiments even, did it... You didn't mean it as a critique, but did it kind of lessen your, not respect for him, but did you think like, oh, oh, I thought that was a really neat, a really creative thought, a really original uh, thought that he had for the social network, but I guess he used it 10 years before and he's just <laughs> recycling it. And, I, and that's the thing is, I, even in saying it, it sounds more negative than I intend it to, but there is this, this idea of, for lack of a better term, laziness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Someone put on Twitter, it's like finding out Santa Claus isn't real, which hopefully it's not that dramatic. But, right. Yeah. Like you took 
20 years worth of work and condensed these things down to like a set, what, a seven minute clip, something like mm-hmm. that? It's like seven and a half minutes. Seven and a half minutes. And there's plenty of stuff I didn't put in, right. but still. Yeah. The, well, you got to make a sequel now. Yeah. Sorkinisms <laughs> too. The disappointing follow up. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, it's. So clearly it's not like the Santa Claus thing. It just yeah. is like, oh, I guess he returns to certain wells, but he still does create. No, creates entire universes, entire characters from whole cloth. So this doesn't say, oh, there are people saying, oh, he's a hack. And just like, well, I wouldn't go that far. Now, I personally think that he can be hacky uh, when it comes to uh, characters speechifying and he (laughs) just puts his own sentiments into the mouths of his characters. I think that might be hacky. But when it comes to this kind of thing, like, it's not that big of a deal. But did you find in yourself, did you find yourself just being maybe slightly disappointed? Well, for me, I think the whole thing was I kind because I kind of knew the whole time. It's not, it's not like when I made the supercut, it was like, oh, what a revelation. I mean, there was some stuff that I was surprised by, like, oh, this this thing is used a whole lot, mm-hmm. but I, it was never like, uh, you know, disenchanting or disillusioning in that sense. Like, oh, I always had a lot of love and appreciation and respect for this thing, and maybe I didn't like that thing so much, and that didn't change when I. When I made the, when I made those edits and mm-hmm. when I made the piece, it it just kind of, um, I don't know. Yeah, it was just the same thing. I, it was just some things were brought out more than others, but it definitely didn't change my respect for him at all, or or take away any of the magic. I think what's important to remember is like, be, his career is so long, mm-hmm. but and also he is so prolific as well. I mean, the guy has written. You know, on on most um, TV shows, there's a staff of writers, and they rotate episodes. And definitely, his TV shows had a staff. But when it came down to it, he wrote all the dialogue for all his TV shows for every episode. Yeah. Um, except for I think there were two or three West Wings he didn't write, and two or three Sports Night he he didn't write. But otherwise, it's all him. Yeah. So taking it together as a body of work, you're looking at you know that plus all the movies plus all his plays. You're looking at over 150 hours of material to draw from. Yeah. Which so you could you could definitely do something like this with people equally as prolific. Yeah. Someone like David Mamet, you can make a David Mamet supercut very easily. You can make Sam Shepard if you wanted to, or you know any other TV writer probably. Well, maybe not any other TV writer, but anyone with a very specific dialogue. probably like a da- like a David Milch maybe mm-hmm. who did uh, Deadwood and John from Cincinnati and yeah. Luck uh, and that sort of thing. I feel like. Yeah, so people who have a very... I mean, when you have a definite voice, you will repeat things. That's mm-hmm. why you have that voice. Yeah. Um, if you're a completely bland writer who just always has completely new things, then you don't have a particular brand. Not that every writer... Not that every writer should, mm-hmm. but if that's what you're known for, then you will find this. For You mentioned Mammoth. Um, there's a phrase both in Glengarry, Glen Ross, and The Verdict. Now, it should be noted that he wrote The Verdict... Uh, in 1982, and then Glengarry Glen Ross, the play came about in, in about 84. So that this phrase was clearly in his head, and uh, it's said in, uh, by Paul Newman in the verdict, and then the character of Shel, uh, Sheldon Levine in Glengarry Glen Ross when he says, "It's a long road with no turning," and it he puts it out there as if it were just this thing that, pe- that like a phrase that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Um, and but when you watch it, you're like, oh, he's just returning to that. But for some reason, I find it I find that forgivable. Why do you think people 
Why do you think people find it so unforgivable with with uh, Aaron Sorkin? Well, I think because no one's really, to my knowledge, done a piece like this and illustrated one particular writer in this specific way. I think if someone else had done this before, and then I just did my little thing with Aaron Sorkin, I don't think there would be this hubbub. But I think it was a couple of things. I think there's uh, probably this week, because we, we are recording this the week that the newsroom premiered. It premiered on Sunday, mm-hmm. and then the video premiered Monday um, that I made. But I think there was already a backlash kind of going on um, mm-hmm. between, you know, um, the newsroom not getting universally acclaimed yeah. by critics, and then an interview that he gave a couple of days ago um, that kind of got weird <laughs> at the end, I guess. So th- taking all that into account, I think there was just a little, unfortunately, and it was never my intention, but there's a bit of a Sorkin dogpile at the beginning of the week, publicity-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those things jaded people's opinions. But then just the supercut as, as its own piece... I just think it's the fact that no one's ever done. You've never, you've probably never seen anything like that for any other writer before. So just the uniqueness of it is yeah. probably, you know. And I don't want to say oh, I'm such a genius. I'm so unique, but it's probably is the uniqueness of yeah. of the piece. Well, and I, I would say I'd say it is unique because uh, you f- you would fall asleep to the lyricism of his dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say lyricism very specifically because, um, and I don't think anybody, with the possible exception of Sorkin himself, yes, I am saying he's self-centered um, <laughs> and uh, self-congratulatory. Um, that's mean. Sorry, everybody. I don't think anybody else would do that. Like, you were in a, in a unique position to notice these things. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that you put them, uh, put them down uh, on video, I think, is, is worth noting. I did have a, a, a strange question. Um, the the first uh, juxtaposition, or whatever you'd call it, in the video is Peter Krause? Krause? Krause. Uh, oh, Cruz. Right. Sure. One of those. <laughs> yeah. uh, him saying to his son, I believe, uh, well, you know what? What does he say? The only thing you ever had to do to make me and your mom happy was come home at the end of the day. Okay, and then immediately cuts to Martin Sheen as Jed Bartlett saying pretty much that same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see then you see uh, a character refer to herself as Tippy Hedren, which is the uh, the lead actress from The Birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you see a character uh, from Sports Night say that as well. Uh, then there's the last phrase of more and more we're expecting less and less of each other. Then you see somebody say that uh, in Sports Night. And while I've been maybe rather facetiously critical of Aaron Sorkin, I actually do, I have come to appreciate him a great deal. Um, But I'm not a huge fan of Sports Night, and I remember saying that for a long time, I think he just didn't have the cast with Sports Night. They're all good actors, and I think they've all become better actors. But at the time, I just think they didn't quite sell it. There was a self-consciousness there. And I think it's never more obvious than when Peter Kraus and then Martin Sheen are saying the same line, and you see one person really sells and one person doesn't. That's my own opinion. In doing this and just clearly comparing later work to earlier work, did you find yourself 
maybe not liking earlier work as much or later work? Like, did you say like, oh, I think I like that one better than this one? Uh, like that line reading better than this one. Did you notice anything like that for yourself? Because I know, because other people have commented on that. Uh, that's funny. I haven't seen those comments about the specific line readings being like one being better than the other. Well, I, they didn't get specific, but what they what they did say, it's like, you know, when I watch this, I realize how how much better as far as casting Sorkin's later work was. And mm-hmm. I, they're comparing, of course, like West Wing to, to Sports Night and that sort of thing. Um, and so, but did that, did that happen at all for you or do you just still retain your love of sports night? Oh dude, I still love sports (laughs) night for sure. No, I, I will always love sports night. It's like your, it's like your high school girlfriend. I mean that in the best possible way. Okay. This is your first, you know, summer romance. But I think even, um, I was reading a, uh, an interview with Aaron Sorkin himself in Vulture, the New York, I think it's the New York Magazine blog, and he was talking about how he he doesn't he doesn't like Sports Night anymore. Hmm. He sees that as like a stepping stone in his evolution as a writer, and he was like, "Yeah, it wasn't my best." And then I got better, and I would never want to show my daughter Roxy Sports Night <laughs> because <laughs> I don't think it's that good. When I think, I mean, there are some episodes of Sports Night that are just like. From front, from beginning to end, just terrific pieces of television. Um, so I didn't really experience it that much, other than um, I think there was a little more. I think he was even finding his own voice on that show for what would become, um, you know, perfected in a way later on within the series of Sports Night, and especially later on in The West Wing, when it was a little more fully formed. I think at the beginning of Sports Night, there was a lot more. Um, a lot more repetition, and they were just... I think he was just figuring out how his voice was going to work on TV. Right. So, but specifically, like, oh, was the later stuff, you know, better than the early stuff? I wouldn't say necessarily, because even, like, there are episodes of Sports Night I enjoy more than Studio 60, which is a show that came after Sports mm-hmm. Night, came after The West Wing. So, you know, I, I don't think chronology has all to do with it, but I do think there is a factor of just his evolution as a writer. Okay. Um, I did want to get to some of the process of putting this thing together. Uh, and the thing that struck me, and uh, I'm not saying this just because we're friends, but um, the thing that struck me was that this was not merely a collection of things, a- as these supercuts often are. They're really... I could tell that there was care taken with the edit, knowing when to cut something and when to pair things together. Cause it would have been easy to just be like, okay, we'll just have this chunk of a scene and then we'll compare it to this one. But you, but you don't, you have like this line, that line, then it goes back to this scene for the response, back to that line for the response. Uh, the one that, uh, that I think is the best example is from a few good men and the West wing. When someone says, you know, you're not fit to lead this uh, trial or something like that. And then CJ saying to Matthew Perry, I hate you and everything you stand for. Back to Tom Cruise saying, you don't even know me. Matthew Perry saying, you've only known me for a few minutes. And it just goes back and forth. And then it ends with CJ Craig saying... I'm the press secretary, boo-boo. I don't have that kind of time. And then it goes to uh, Charlie Wilson's war where he says, that's why the, you're the press secretary, boo-boo. Like, 
that is that really shows like editing skill and understand like it's such a wonderful payoff that's just like okay we're comparing these but look he's brought in this other thing as well um and so uh i think that maybe one of the reasons that uh that the the supercut was so popular is because there was actual care taken in the production of it rather than simply hey look at all this isn't that kind of <laughs> neat um yeah. And it's worth noting, a moment ago I made reference to Aaron Sorkin's lyricism. You are, I can't think of any other way to say this, and I apologize, this is almost too, not almost, this is definitely too broad a term. You're a music guy. Like you, I mean, you mentioned your uh, love of uh, Bruce Springsteen, but, um, and we don't necessarily have to go into a lot of detail about uh, about uh, the work that you do, but you are involved with music, and you, uh, it's something that you are interested in. Would mm-hmm. you say that's, that's correct? That is fair. Okay. And so there is an ebb and flow, and there is kind of a musicality. When you're going to have repetition, you don't want it to be boring. Like, it needs to have some life to it. Otherwise, people will be like, okay, yeah, your repetition has become repetitive. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, was that, an, you know... I, I was going to ask, is that a factor? Well, of course it was a factor, but like, because <laughs> um, I know you worked on this for a while, like, did you go through several cuts of it and found that this works better than that? Totally, yeah. Okay. I, I even, um, it's funny you should mention that intercutting, because that specific, uh, those specific pieces of dialogue, the first time I cut it, in one of my first cuts, it was... Um, that whole scene from A Fugan Man played out mm-hmm. and then the whole scene from The West Wing played out rather than it cutting back and forth. That was actually something I discovered with the help of... Um, I've been showing the cut to different people just to get feedback and opinions and advice and notes, where to tighten, where to loosen. And um, one thing a buddy of mine, Tim Longo, said was um, was he gave that note. It was something I had done later in the cut where I interspersed a scene with Sam screwing up the name Kazakhstan and saying Kyrgyzstan and, yeah. and Dan saying um, secular programs are publicly financed and versus non-secular. But I did that for that. But Tim said, oh, why don't you just do it for everything? Mm-hmm. Or just have like more. So there's more cuts. There's more ebb and flow. And so that was probably the single most helpful note for me where it's just like it just opened up a world of, of just oh this moves so much better when it's not just like chunk and then another chunk and then another chunk where it's just like oh like the it's kind of il- illustrating the world's kind of blending together like mm-hmm. they're all of one piece like the Aaron Sorkin universe everyone sounds the same because in this universe Aaron Sorkin is God yeah. you know so it was trying to <laughs> illustrate that it's interesting that you put it that way because it is the it really is sort of the Aaron Sorkin universe and that's something that bothered me for a long time when watching his stuff is just like people don't talk like that in life and it's like well but this isn't supposed to be like this is supposed to be a slightly heightened more idealized version of life which is one of the reasons that I don't want to get off on this tangent <laughs> one of the reasons why it always bothered me that Bartlett went up against uh uh, Robert Ritchie is mm-hmm. because like oh no no oh so you're bringing real life in when you're opposing somebody <laughs> but you're not going to bring and th- but then thankfully they made Hoynes uh, spoilers something of a philanderer and it's like okay all right so you, you did it for your side too good <laughs> yeah. for you um, that's going to mean nothing to anybody <laughs> if you haven't seen the West all Wing. the wing nuts out there will love it oh watch out is that yeah. what they're officially called uh, I have a t-shirt that says wing nuts on it and it's like it's like a it's like a baseball shirt that television without pity made. Oh, okay. Like six years ago. And 
it, it's wing nuts and it's like a baseball tee and on the back the number is 1600 you know for 1600 pennsylvania avenue <laughs> thanks thanks buddy yeah um but it's not it really when you look at it f- uh from that point of view that everything is of a piece everything is one mm-hmm. universe uh it's really no different than say the world of quentin tarantino where everybody seems to know this, they all have the same like pop culture mm-hmm. go tos, and they all have the same reference points, and they all kind of talk the same. They all resort to violence pretty easily. <laughs> uh, and when you look at it like that, you realize like, oh wow, this really is exciting and fun. And it does sort of. Uh, you and I were talking uh, off mic that uh, there is no money ball in there. And there is no money ball in there now. And that is because you couldn't find any of these phrases in there. Yeah, I watched all of Moneyball, and there are a few phrases I I left on the cutting room floor mm-hmm. from it, but they were so um, broad as to not be relevant at all. Right. So there was nothing specific yeah. in Moneyball that would have been interesting for this cut. Um, and I part of that might be the fact that it, he co-wrote it right. with Steve Zalian, yeah. I think, and maybe one other guy was credited, but... Um. Yeah. Are you saying you think you think because like Moneyball is a little more stark and a little more? I th- I think it's. Uh, well, I I love the the screenplay for Moneyball mm-hmm. and, and the other guy. Uh, I believe it's a story by credit Stan Shervin, okay. and um and yeah, I think because he wrote it with somebody else, uh, that wound up being something of a grounding influence for him. But then he adds a lyricism to it, and so there's a wit to it. Yeah. Uh, and then by getting Bennett Miller. Uh, who made Capote, which is not of, I don't think of a Sorkinian type of movie when I think of (laughs) Capote. Uh, I think all of them somehow work together to create this thing that, that could not be identified with any one of them. Yeah. And so, uh, so it sort of makes sense that that film kind of exists outside of the Sorkin universe because he was one part of it. Um, and I'd say even social network, which does have some definite, uh, Sorkinian phrases. Um, I think that one, uh, because Fincher is such a grounding influence and there's not a lot of whimsy to him as a filmmaker, no. uh, I think I think that one is ju- just barely t- taps into mm-hmm. that uh, Sorkin universe. I think another factor with that was the fact that it was based off of a, a book, right. which was based off of real life, so he wasn't just... Um, you know, making it up. I think someone someone brought up a good point where it's it's probably the only it might be the only work he's done where it's not about good people trying to do good things. Mm-hmm. There's no nobility in the social network at all. Yeah. Like you like Eduardo Saverin, but otherwise everyone's just kind of mean. So you that's know true. I mean to a degree. It's just like people, you know, vying for power and trying to get what they want. So it's very unsorkin in in that regard as well. Whereas every other work is concerned with like there's some sort of uh, nobility at stake. Yeah. He says that one of Sorkin said in the past that one of the things he's most interested in is the difference between good and great, um, mm-hmm. and people you know, and that's what the newsroom seems to be about as well. Even revisiting that theme. And I'm glad that uh, that you said that because uh, we should start wrapping up. But I am interested to know what you think of the newsroom because, as you mentioned, it is not. Uh, not that uh, Studio Sixty was uh, not beloved either, but uh, and uh, rightfully so. Um, <laughs> there's a they could have made it just a simple, just one change to that show would have made it all worth it, which was make the show within the show funny. But it wasn't <laughs> funny. Like it was these, it was all these people like 
just it's like oh man this show it's oh, it's it's life or death it's like well it's also a comedy show and it's not funny mm-hmm. so if you think this is funny i have no faith in you the characters on the show <laughs> right yeah so that was yeah. my that was my own personal beef but other people thought that as well but uh, but that people consider that to be kind of misguided because it had the the uh, urgency of the west wing it's like yeah the word bomb means very different things in the comedy world than in the political world. If, uh, you know, if President Bartlett bombs something, it means he's blowing people up, whereas it's a little different for Studio 60, so you may not have that same level of urgency, whereas... Although there was a, there was a plot about a bomb in Studio 60. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, I didn't see the whole show, admittedly. Oh, okay. So, but, uh, of co- but you know what? Here's, here's my response. Of course there was. Um... <laughs> Because they uh, they started with the tone and like, oh, I guess we should have events to match this tone. Again, mm-hmm. I apologize for being too negative. Go back and listen to the Aaron Sorkin episode. You'll discover that actually I can be a, a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the newsroom, I think, fits more with what he tries to do or what certainly what he's been doing lately. The idea mm-hmm. of good and great. And I only got to see the uh, like the first 40 minutes of the first episode. I, w- I will be finishing it later because um, it intrigued me. Um, what did you think of of the newsroom as a as a Sorkin fan? You know, I uh, I actually just finished watching it today, actually mm-hmm. before I came over here, and I enjoyed it. Okay, I I liked it a lot. Um, I understand um, why people have different criticisms, and I don't necessarily disagree with them. But it's almost like, and I might be biased too. Um, but it's just there's something about when the cast of his shows works mm-hmm. and when just the sound of the dialogue alone i think can sometimes overcome different obstacles it's almost like when you watch an action movie and you know that the script isn't that good it's like oh blah 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 so 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 but then oh there was this great action sequence yeah or you know like the same way in musicals the story was whatever but then there was this cool dance number or whatever so for me even when when you know, when episodes or whatever he makes isn't firing on all cylinders, there's always going to be something that I really, really enjoy about it. And that's, you know, most often, actually, it always is the dialogue mm-hmm. and and just, you know, reaching further in terms of, of writing for characters and articulation. And I think, I mean, I was even putting it together just this week, how much of an influence he's had on my own life. I was thinking back to conversations I've had even in the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> just talking to people on how much I put a premium on um, and a value on communication and people being able to express themselves well. Mm-hmm. And I think a huge part of that is just, you know, growing up listening to some of the most articulate, you know, hyper articulate even characters ever written <laughs> on mm-hmm. TV and in movies. Um, so I think that's that's probably definitely an influence, but um, but I, I enjoyed it. It certainly wasn't perfect, and it's got room to grow. But I'll be watching it again for sure. Okay, yeah, uh, I liked it more because I had read all these reviews, many of them negative. There were a couple positive here and there, but I'd say it's mostly getting kind of tepid mm-hmm. uh, responses. Uh, and so I went in not really expecting to to like, it. and it sound and some of the some of the comments about it were such that. It's like, oh, he's kind of indulging himself again as far as politically and making one one side look the side that he's on look much better, uh, which anyone will do, 
But it's just like, but there is an actual response on the other side, but he chooses not to hear that, or he chooses the dumbest one and then fights <laughs> against that. Uh, so I had heard that, and, I, and in watching it, I see what they mean, but man, there is something to be said for that dialogue. And when, and when you put that dialogue into the mouth of a good cast, you gotta, you know, you've got like a Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. And man. like a Sam Waterston. Mm-hmm. Oh, wasn't I mean, he great? I loved it. He's so great with his bow tie and all that. But it just, <laughs> there, there are a couple of things where I would say it's just a, Almost, it doesn't really matter who has who uh, does a pilot. There are certain things like, you know, there is a character who the, who he's in a relationship with this woman, and he's he doesn't want to move too fast in the relationship, and they say they like declare it within thirty seconds of meeting them. It's like okay, so I guess that's what they're about. But you run across that thing in pilots; it's not that big of a mm-hmm. deal. Um, what I found interesting in this pilot was um, the inciting incident is. And again, this is just the way my mind's working, but the inciting incident for the whole show being he speaks truth in a very broad way to the public, yeah. and that's the inciting incident for the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. Much like Wes Mandel on Studio 60 speaking yeah. truth before a live audience, and that being the inciting incident for the show. Yeah. Much like on the West Wing, Josh Lyman going on Capitol Beat and debating with Mary Marsh, saying, "God, lady, the God you pray to is too busy being indicted for tax fraud, speaking truth on a broad public scale, yeah. and that being the inciting incident for the show. So it was actually, and it's just where my mind's been for the last however long I've been doing it, but I, I kept picking out different Sorkinisms yeah. for maybe a cut later down the road. I don't know. Well, and that, that's, that's a question that I had for you, and I don't even know if it's possible I, and you did it a little bit with this one, but is it possible to do a supercut that's almost purely about themes? I don't know if it is, considering that themes come out in extended monologues. Yeah, no, see, and that, that was something I thought about because the theme of even, for instance, you're talking about office romance. The, uh, in the pilot, there's you know ex-lovers that are forced to work together again because of circumstances. Yeah. That is Will McAvoy and Mackenzie McHale. In, in Newsroom, that's Harriet Hayes and Matt Alvey in, in Studio 60, mm-hmm. and that is um, Josh Lyman and Mandy... What Who was her cares? Last name? What was her last name? I don't remember. I don't remember either. That's Mandy, the person that... Kn- that's You know what? We don't remember, and therein la- that was the problem with that character and why she went away. Yeah. She went off to Mandyville, as Mandyville. so many characters did. Isn't that fun? I'm glad you know what Mandyville is. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, he does return to these, and you 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 got that a couple of, you got that a couple of times when it became you know when it could be summed up easily like a character's uh, father having a mistress for twenty seven or twenty eight years. Mm-hmm. What what is it about those numbers? Not, not quite twenty five, not quite thirty. Somehow twenty seven, twenty eight. <laughs> just that's the sweet spot. Yeah, when it comes to scandal. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it it would be worth uh, it would would be worth uh, exploring. I think, and I and. You know, you have your work cut out for you, certainly, because that would be a very specific kind of challenge. But um, it, it feels almost as though, because there are these supercuts, but then there are also, like, video essays. And uh, listeners of Battleship Pretension will remember uh, several months ago we had, a guy, had on a guy named uh, Matthias Stork who had made a uh, video essay called Chaos Cinema that was uh, circling around the Internet for a while. And, um, and those can be very interesting because it gives... It's it's not a written thing. You don't you're not necessarily taking a person's word for it. It's right there. It's it's mm-hmm. visual and audio proof, and you can't 
really refute it. It's like, oh yeah, there's the same phrase said over and over again. And I think, uh, I think yours actually starts to spill into, uh, into a video essay and, and I, uh, liked it quite a bit. Couple things real quick. Mm -hmm. In the video, you have two real life quotes. Mm -hmm. And one thing that seems to, you know, the video is chugging along and then you see a little bit from Tom Hanks acceptance speech, uh, his Oscar acceptance speech from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and, and then there's, you hear, uh, something that, that Bartlett says from, uh, the West wing. And I find that interesting. It is, it is uh, something of a, of a jarring shift. I won't go as far as say it was a mistake. You, I'm sure you knew like, Oh, this is going to be a little bit out of step with what mm-hmm. I'm doing. But man, people uh, people online are mystified by that. I'm mystified by it, to tell you the truth. Okay. I, I don't know if, if Aaron Sorkin wrote the speech or, um, or if he just lifted the line. What's interesting, this is going to be super nerdy. Okay. But what's interesting about that, that comes from an episode called 20 Hours in America, mm-hmm. part two. And Bartlett's giving that speech. And Sam Seaborn is the one that wrote the speech. That's one of his speechwriters on the show. And um, at the end, he says, um, "Good writer." When he's talking to one of the other characters about the speech, talking to a woman, obviously, and he says, um, "Good writers borrow from other writers. Great writers steal from them outright." Talking about, oh, I think I lifted a line from Camelot in there, um, and that speech is weird for a couple of reasons. One, because of that, the Tom Hanks thing, like, yeah. oh, was that, so whatever about that. But then what's also funny is that there was a um, a bit of a, a new story about five or six years ago where um, whoever was doing copy for the NBC Kentucky Derby voiceovers was doing a story, this is 100% true, was doing a story about um, these guys who um, who saved some horses from a barn and it was the exact same lines from Pre- President Bartlett's speech, from that speech. So at one point, because he's doing it, Bartlett's doing it in the show after the, a bomb went off at a college and, and killed some kids and some other kids got you know died in a fire. And he said, um, the, they ran into the fire, ran into the fire. The streets of heaven are far too crowded with angels tonight. And they put that in the Kentucky Derby speech. And then this is a time for American heroes, and we reach for the stars. Kentucky Derby speech as well. So that one <laughs> was speech there a fire is a, at the Kentucky Derby. I don't. How did they incorporate I don't, it, that? It was a story that was going on during the Kentucky oh, okay. Derby. I don't know all the details, but I know it was that speech, and it was those lines um, were in it. Fast and like I, I have no idea. Just that one speech. There's such a micro. We're we're talking about Camelot. We're talking about Tom Hanks acceptance speech. We're talking about the 2007 Derby or 2006, whenever it was. So that speech is loaded with a lot of overlap in the writing yeah. world for whatever reason. It's, it's a, uh, and then and so Sam saying, uh, you know, great writers uh, steal outright. Mm-hmm. It's I, almost like it's almost like a little Easter egg for you. Yeah, I almost put that in there, but I decided not to. Well, and that's the thing. Yeah. So you chose not to put that in there, but mm-hmm. one thing that you did, and this is the note that it ends on. Mm-hmm. And this is actually something that we've said on Battleship Pretension. I think I I believe it a little bit more than my co-host. That if you want to know what a movie is about, like what it decides, this is ultimately what I am about. You look how it ends. Now, it might also be, it might incorporate stuff from the beginning, from the middle. It might have a lot of themes. But 
how what the movie wants to leave you thinking about mm-hmm. that's that's no small thing and so it's just like well if they want me to walk out of the theater on this note then this is the note i really should start thinking about um now the note that you end on <laughs> and you say this is somebody and you say that you are not this is not a critique mm-hmm. you have a line more and more we are expecting less and less of each other it's said twice uh what are the times in which it is said uh it's said three times actually okay um so it's said once from the west wing from uh an episode called um the lame duck session or the lame duck congress that sounds I right and <laughs> checks out yeah. uh second time is from sports night um, Dan Rydell's making a speech, and I forget the name of that episode, but before Seder. And then the third instance is from Aaron Sorkin's commencement speech at Syracuse from earlier this year. Yeah. And that is, and it's his speech mm-hmm. where he is quoting himself. Right. He says it, and boom. That's the end of the video. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit. <laughs> the essence of that quote yeah. is that... We're ex- more and more, we're expecting less and less of each other. Now, I understand why someone would write that and why somebody would like it. Because more and more, less and less. It's a fun thing to say. Yeah. It's but it's about opposites. expectations. Mm-hmm. If you expect less of somebody, then you're holding them to a low standard. Mm-hmm. One could make the argument <laughs> that by just repeating the same phrases over and over, as we've, as we've seen for seven and a half minutes... Mm-hmm. He is holding himself to a low standard. One could make that argument. I'm not sure I am, mm-hmm. but one could say that. Right. And then the fact that he is th- that the last line of the video is him in a in a in a supposed to be a rousing speech that he Aaron Sorkin is giving and in it he is it won't plagiarize. It's not plagiarizing. He wrote it himself. Yeah. That he is recycling. Mm-hmm. And I, you can take that positive. You can take it negative. That he is recycling himself. Talking about holding people to a low standard. Mm-hmm. And that's the ch- note you choose to end on. One could say that it's a little damning. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say about that, sir? <laughs> wow, this is really your Edward R. Murrow moment. <laughs> Well, you know what? Uh, that's how things used to be. And that's how they should be now. That's the way I say it. America's not the greatest country in the world, but it can be. It sure can be. I'm not going to let him off the hook. Yes. Um, I think for that, it was important to me. Ever since I saw the um, that commencement speech from Syracuse, from which there are 10 other things. Oh, I'm sure. Over lives that I didn't, I didn't put in um, because I didn't want to spoil that for the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe maybe in a future one. Um, so for me, it was really important to, that it end with him. So it's like, you know, bringing it all back home, bringing it full circle. Yeah. Boom, Aaron Sorkin. And I was aware of the perception that that might create. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like I'm not... I'm not an idiot. I know. I knew that it might get some, you know, like people might say, oh, he sucks. So really, I just wanted to pose the question. Are we expecting less and less from Aaron mm-hmm. Sorkin? Are people just like, oh, be, you know, because Studio 60 was, you know, by most accounts, a failure, um, you know, critically, and then obviously, you know, viewership-wise. Are we expecting 
less and less from him. And would this make you expect less and less from him? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is hopeful because the whole line he says at the end is, it seems to me that more and more we're coming to expect less and less from each other. And that's got to change. And then the end. And that's, yeah. And that's so, got to change. So, um, you know, and then cut to the newsroom or whatever. Well, and that's something that I, that I uh, really like about it. And, and though I'm, you know, I'm being kind of... Uh, kind of cheeky saying gotcha like media. saying like oh it could be this <laughs> um i i do like that what what you're saying that like you want to start a conversation and you have mm-hmm. it is not merely it is not merely saying like aaron sorkin sucks or aaron sorkin's awesome yeah. it's hey what do you guys think of this mm-hmm. i've i've noticed this and now i'm making you aware of it what do you think of it yeah and that's one of my favorite things about all of the reaction to it is that it's not universally one thing mm-hmm. that some people are being like, "Oh, hey, I know, I never noticed all these." Cool, and then some people are like, "This ruins Aaron Sorkin." Someone tweeted on Monday, "Watch Aaron Sorkin be destroyed in front of your very eyes." Yeah, which is obviously not the case. <laughs> I did not destroy Aaron Sorkin, but then there's that. Yeah, reaction. I think he's going to be okay. Yeah, I think he'll do fine. I think this affects him none, not at all. Which what I just said is this organism um, <laughs> that I didn't put in, um, but and then some people are like, well, no, because you could do this, and then we get into talking about other writers, and then yeah. <clears throat> what does it mean when you when you are a prolific wa- writer and you have like a library essentially of work, not just like a body of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just want I I wanted to spark the conversation, so I was cognizant of that, but it was not meant to be. A damning last word. Right. But if you took it as that, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Yeah. Because that's your interpretation of it. But that's the thing is is that I like that. that I mean, that's my interpretation of it. But like, I like that. That's the note you end on because mm-hmm. it is an amb- It's an ambiguous note. Um, it, it, somebody could very easily take it as this is Porter's last word, and mm-hmm. he's saying this has got to change. You know. <laughs> yeah. But but that's the thing. I know you, and I know that you're you're a huge Sorkin fan and the statements that you've made online you say you're a big Sorkin fan you don't mean this to be critical but it's not fawning either it's you saying mm-hmm. this is who he is what do you think yeah and and I like that and I respect it and that's why uh, that's why I wanted to have this conversation because it is it does raise some interesting questions about our relationship to artists that we love mm-hmm. like some of us might be a little too willing to give them a pass some of us might uh be a little too willing to condemn them because oh this fi- this film or this tv show it's not like this one and it's just like yes but should we compare an art this is going to be a topic of battleship pretension sometime okay. in the future um should we compare this artist's work to themselves or do we compare it to other people because the worst aaron sorkin is still better than almost anything else mm-hmm. that's on TV, almost. Um, and so I don't know. It's it it brings up some very interesting questions, and I'm very uh, I'm very excited that people have found it. Uh, and uh, listeners, if you haven't if you haven't seen it, I think we'll we'll do a post on Battleship Pretension where you can watch it. Uh, and uh, just seek it out. It's it's worth watching, and feel free to weigh in in the comments section of this uh, of this post. Um, I'd like to know what you have to what you uh, have to say. So, Porter, Kevin, sorry, mm-hmm. um, where can people find you and your work online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Kevin T. Porter. Um, <laughs> on YouTube, my username is Dr. Funky 17 <laughs> which was a leftover. 
And the reason, okay, let me get into this real quick. Okay. Just to set the record straight on this, I uploaded it to that to that um, username because I I do have a Kevin T. Porter username mm-hmm. because I'm not 12 years old anymore. Um, I, I uploaded to that because I put a few videos on there. There's one called a, the Breaking Up Music Video. It's just this little music video I made in high school that, over the course of like five years or however long it's been, has gotten 400,000 hits. Um, and then there was another one, a Bruce Springsteen music video, actually, that's gotten like 40,000 hits. I was going so I was to like, mention that, yes. Yeah, so it's like, oh, well, you know, those got a lot of hits, so maybe people checking those out will see this little thing, too. And, you know, and they'll drive a little more traffic to it. Yeah. <laughs> and, again, the expectation was, oh, this will get, like, you know, 2,000, maybe 3,000 hits. And, you know, it kind of be like an underground Aaron Sorkin fan thing. And, yeah. And people will enjoy it. I believe as of the recording, it's at about 350,000. Uh, it's at 400,000. It's at, it's at 400 now. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, maybe it was at 350 when we started recording <laughs> and it has gone up by 50,000 in perhaps, the last uh, 45 minutes. But yeah. And so that's the reason I put it under that ridiculous name, um, <laughs> which is two things. It's two things I love. Okay. Dr. Funky is what Amy Poehler mistakenly calls Tobias Funke on an episode of Arrested Development. Okay. She goes out to him at a party and says, excuse me, Dr. Funky? <laughs> and I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. Okay. And then actually, and I didn't realize that I didn't remember this until today. The number 17 I put because I just, at the time, I wasn't 17 years old when I made it, but at the time I was really into the number 17. Most primarily, I don't even know why. I know it's weird, but it's okay. just like numbers. You know, it's not like demonic or anything, but it's right. just numbers. It's, it's not, not like the number 23 or anything. Yeah, it's not. Watch mm, out for that. Not quite like that. But I realized it's because. There's that episode called 17 People. I love that episode. <laughs> of the West. It's one of my favorite, like, top yeah. three of all time. Just like a beautiful one act play. All in one, you know, it's yeah. kind of like their bottle episode. Yeah. But when the bottle is the White House, it doesn't feel like a bottle episode at all. Yeah, there's a lot of rooms there. Yeah, exactly. So, so even that stupid, goofy username was, over the course of the last 10 years, inspired and influenced by Aaron Sorkin and his work. All right. Well, that's very exciting. So you can follow Kevin on Twitter, Kevin T. Porter. You can follow him on YouTube, Dr. Funky 17. That's DR, not the word doctor. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, uh, thank you very much for uh, being on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tyler. And uh, yeah, and thanks everybody for listening, and I'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.